So what does the most accurate college football preview of the last decade have to say about the 2021 Wolverines? Find out next on this week's episode of Michigan Podcast. But there's going to be one team that's going to play solely as a team. No man is more important than the team. No coach is more important than the team. The team, the team, the team. Looks deep for Anthony Clark. Waits for it, hit, caught. This is no time for that. In the pocket and a sack. Tim Jamison. Brady gets terrific. Throws it, and it, touchdown night again. Schultz, just before Brazil got it. And a leaping interception by Woodson. Harbaugh back to throw over the middle. Caught by Kolodar at the five on his feet. Touchdown, Michigan. On his way. It's good. He's 5'7", 179 pounds, a junior at Michigan. But Jamie Morris packs a wallop, and he delivers for Bo Schindler. And here's your first play. Pressure coming. It is Glenn Steele, number 81, who fought his way through the traffic. Option. And Robinson calls his own number, and he's going to score. Oh, an easy touchdown for Robinson and Michigan. Winner. We're going to win the championship again because we're going to play as a team. And when we play as a team, and the old season is over, you and I know it's going to be Michigan again. Michigan. I'm Steve Dace, and welcome to our new episode of Michigan Podcast as the season draws nigh. Brett Ciancia from Pick 6 Previews. That's the most accurate college football preseason preview over the last decade. He'll be joining us here in the next segment of the show to give us his take on what he thinks about the 2021 Wolverines. But first, we start off with mine, including a forecast of what I think the depth chart will look like 10 days from now when Michigan kicks off the season against Western Michigan at the Big House. Let's begin with the offense. I think Cade McNamara is absolutely cemented as the starting quarterback. Now, I really thought Alan Bowman was going to was going to challenge here. Uh, remember that I picked that uh, Joe Milton would be the starter all along a year ago. I got that right. I was dead wrong, though, about Alan Bowman. He's not even on the radar right now. I think J.J. McCarthy, the prized freshman, is a clear number two. But I think this is clearly Cade McNamara's team right now. At running back, you've got what Jim Harbaugh has described as 1A and 1B and Hassan Haskins and Blake Corum. And to me, I think they've got like Tony Bowles, Leroy Horde kind of comparisons here. Uh, Corum is obviously uh, a specimen, but he is lightning fast. And Haskins is just a road grader, a guy that falls forward, a guy that will truck you, uh, kind of a Leroy Horde kind of back. I love this one-two punch. I think they complement each other perfectly. Wide receiver on the outside, you've got Ronnie Bell, who's just a solid stalwart. Dalen Baldwin, the transfer from Jackson State, 
State that uh, chose Michigan after getting offered by Ohio State, which surprised a lot of people. He's impressed in the fall. The other wide receiver spot is Cornelius Johnson. If there's one Michigan player this year that I think is, is could go from a guy we're just kind of yeah, I, you know, I remember recruiting him to, wow, he's all Big Ten. On the offensive side of the ball, I think it could be him. I think Dalen Baldwin is his backup at the other wide receiver on the outside position as well. And then in the slot, you've got Mike Sainris still. Hopefully this is the year that the spring offseason hype comes to fruition. Behind him, you've got two highly recruited players, the most highly recruited, A.J. Henning, uh, who showed some flashes a year ago. And then you've got Roman Wilson not pictured. But I think the speedster from, from Hawaii will play quite a bit as well well now to tight end speaking of guys that we need to actually see it during the season eric all has been the grady brooks award winner if you know that reference for like three years in a row now's the time to actually see it on game day he's backed up by a better athlete than he's given credit for in luke schoonmaker it looks like harbaugh has said there are three starters on the offensive line penciled in Maybe not necessarily their positions. One of them is. Ryan Hayes is one of those three. He will clearly start at left tackle. He'll be backed up by former prized recruit Trent A. Jones. At left guard right now, I think it's very close between Trevor Keegan, uh, another big-time recruit from two years ago, and Chuck Filiaga, who himself was a big-time recruit four years ago that Michigan has just been kind of waiting to pan out. But I think in the end they'll go with the younger guy because he's got the higher ceiling. At center, you'll recall that we said a couple of weeks ago that we thought one of the questions Michigan needed an affirmative answer to was Zach Zinner could play center so they could put their best five in the offensive line. Well, right now, it does not look like that's going to happen. Former walk-on Andrew Vistardis, who, if we're going to be honest, just really struggled after the Minnesota game last year. But right now, he looks like he'll start at center, backed up by Zinner. That means Zinner will then move over to right guard. Josh Gaddis, Michigan offensive coordinator, said Zinner right now is the best offensive player on the team, backed up by Carson Barnhart. And then right tackle Andrew Stuber, who has played a lot of football at Michigan, backed up by Trent A. Jones. So when you look at this offense, I mean, <laughs> there's a ton of big-time recruits on this offense. In fact, two of the guys that were the more lightly recruited players on this team um, are two of its most reliable offensive players, and Ronnie Bell and Hassan Haskins, who were kind of, who are these guys, recruits in that 2018 class? Both of those guys, I mean, they're two of the best players in the program right now. Uh, around them are loads of four and high four and five-star talents. I mean, just, if, if you can't score in the 30s consistently with this unit, then it's just on you as coaches because I mean there's a lot of talent on this unit let's go now to the defense and it's new multiple which means three four alignment at defensive tackle I think you see Chris Hinton will start there although I'm a little worried we've not heard a lot about him in the preseason and that's a former five star that we need to see step into that role backed up by the German import Julius Welshoff who's one of the best athletes on the team he was rated one of Bruce Feldman's freaks this year nose tackle looks like Mozzie Smith by default another former big time recruit hopefully this is the year that potential is realized behind him Wilton Spates walk on little brother Jess Spate, which speaks to the lack of depth here. You, some of you might be asking, where's that Oregon State transfer, Jordan Whitley? Were you seriously counting on an Oregon State transfer? 
I told you at the time, don't seriously count on an Oregon State transfer. And I'd, as camp has gone on, it's pretty clear, don't seriously count on an Oregon State transfer. Uh, defensive tackle, Donovan Jeter. It, I mean, it's a tradition like any other at Michigan. What is it, three years in a row, Donovan Jeter, ready to take a big step, former big-time recruit out of Pennsylvania. Even Jeter himself, I love this. The media asked him the other day, hey, we're hearing a lot of good things about how you're playing in camp. And even Jeter's like, you know what, man, I just got to show up and play on Saturdays. I'm tired of hype. <laughs> so even the players, even the Michigan players are like, dude, I don't, hell, I don't know, man. We'll just play. All right. Got to, you know what? Good. That's, that's a good uh, perspective to have. What's not a good perspective to have, though, notice who his backup is. It's also Julius Welshoff. Guys, we're running a 3-4, man, and I don't know who the fourth defensive lineman is, okay? So, yikes. Um, Now, linebacker, there's a lot of depth and talent here, particularly because we're taking some of our old defensive ends and turning them into OLBs now, like Aiden Hutchinson, who seems poised for a big-time year, backed by Mike Morris, who's a guy that uh, Michigan once flipped from Florida State that they're pretty high on. Inside linebackers, Josh Ross, backed by another former big-time recruit in Khalil Mullings. Uh, Ross only has one way to go after last year, which is up because he was brutal last year. The Kai Hill Green uh, is a promising redshirt freshman that for now looks to have unseated Michael Barrett as the weak inside linebacker uh, starter. At the other outside linebacker, I could see this going either way between Taylor Upshaw and David Ojabo, who has been an athlete I've been excited about since we signed him. I mean, you're talking about a guy with off-the-charts measurables, just as a Scottish import, hasn't played a lot of football, so he just needs to be groomed. In the secondary, I think Vincent Gray will be the primary backup to both Jamon Green and DJ Turner at corner, but I think you're going to see Daxton Hill play some corner because of the emergence of R.J. Moten at free safety. I think that that gives them another elite kind of athlete that gives them the luxury of deploying Daxton Hill all over the field, as you see the Ravens do with stars in their secondary, and that's where our new D.C. comes from. And then the steady Brad Hawkins, backed by Makari Page, who got a lot of playing time last year as well. So, again, when you look at this defense, I mean, the, the you look at the defensive line depth, and if you ain't doing the Steve Carell yikes, then you can't read because that's not optimal, okay? But everywhere else, man, there's a lot of highly recruited guys. I sound like a broken record, but going through this too deep, it just reminded me again, man, they have recruited really well. I was watching the 2019 Michigan Notre Dame game over the weekend. So just two seasons ago, 14 of the 22 players that started in that game are currently on NFL rosters, 14. And that's not counting guys that are still playing here, like Aiden Hutchinson, who started in that game. Guys who played a lot in that game, like Daxton Hill, who are still playing here. Aston Haskins, who started in that game and is still playing here. 14 out of those 22, that team went 9-4. and four. How do you lose four games with a team with 14 pros? And even more now, because you'll see guys like Hassan Haskins and Aiden Hutchinson and Daxton Hill in the NFL next year. I just, the the issue isn't talent. And there's something else going on. Let's talk to Brett Ciancia of Pick 6 Previews about that when we return. 
want to say thank you to the hundreds of you that support us each month on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Michigan podcast. That's patreon.com slash Michigan podcast. If you are not currently supporting us now is the time with football season just around the corner. We put a lot of exclusive handicapping information up there. For example, my 2021 college football future bets, the bets I myself have made with my own money. You'll see those posted there for our subscribers. We post daily MLB handicapping picks as well. We're hitting about 60, 61% of those so far this season. We will have some NFL futures bets that I have also placed that I'll be recommending. Those will be placed pretty uh, pretty soon here as well on our Patreon page. So with the most wonderful time of the year just about here, please support us at patreon.com slash Michigan podcast. It's the best five bucks you're ever going to spend a month. Patreon.com slash Michigan podcast. We welcome him in now. He is the brains behind what has been the most accurate preseason college football publication over the last several years. Old friend of the show as well. Brett Ciancia is here with us from pick six previews and Brett, it's Steve Dace here on Michigan Podcast. Thanks for joining us again this season, brother. How you been? Yeah, doing well, Steve. It's the best time of year. Uh, Here we are. It's week zero coming up. Everyone's undefeated. Everyone's optimistic. But uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. It's one of my favorite stops in my preseason radio tour and uh, definitely my go-to source for anything Michigan. So I love catching up in the offseason on your uh, your predictions, but then also your analysis. So uh, keep, keep up the great work, and I'm glad to be back on. Thanks, man. Really appreciate it. What What's the secret to your success? I mean, what do you think has gone into your accuracy metric over the last few years? You know, you look at somebody like Phil Steele, you see what his success has been because he's approached it more from a sports handicapping angle. And so he was really the first person to do a lot of what we now call advanced analytics uh, that are kind of, you know, par for the course these days. But I mean, so what's been your secret sauce, Brett? Yeah, I think uh, it's really striking a balance because I think the analytics are important and I've de- designed my, my set of those as well. Uh, you got to pick out and choose which ones matter, which ones you can use predictively, which ones correlate to success. Uh, so the number side of it, but then also the, you know, watching game tapes, watching film, watching spring games, calling coaches, calling coordinators, kind of the, the non-numerical stuff too. So I try and strike a balance. I think that's uh, hopefully pops off the page in my book where you have the graphics and the numbers on the left side, then you have all the written, the storylines, and, and, you know, a very readable structure on the right side. So uh, definitely balance for me. Uh, but lastly, though, I'm super competitive. I'm a competitive guy. And uh, when I launched this in 2012, I wanted to be number one in uh, prediction accuracy. And uh, we, we won that first year, 2012, and have held that title since. Uh, it's been nine years, number one in Power 5 predictions. So, you know, when, uh, when the ball kicks off at noon, you know, I have all my teams that I have that season. I'm cheering for them. And, uh, you know, then the next year it's new teams. So very competitive, and uh, it's been a great run so far. How has the addition of the transfer portal uh, you look at a team like Michigan State. I think they have. I think they have some like 42 players on the roster uh, that they didn't have last year between incoming recruits and then transfers in and transfers out. Uh, you look at this is something I've seen uh, Bill Connolly at ESPN who tracks returning production. He's pointing out, you know, with the super seniors, this is the most returning production he's ever seen in college football. So he doesn't know if that stat means as much as it's meant in the past if everybody's returning so much all over the country so how have those sorts of variables factored in to how you put your publication together this year compared to maybe the last several 
Yeah, it's a great point. And, um, you know, it's my 10th year doing the book. It's by far the 10th hardest. It's the most difficult ever. Uh, first, looking back at 2020, where normally teams play the same amount of games and there's less off-the-field context. But this time around, it was an inconsistent amount of games. You had Arizona State play four, and you had Alabama play 13, that kind of stuff. So uh, inconsistent amounts of games. Then within those games, you had uh, different quarantine situations where, for example, Virginia Tech, they were out 30 guys for a couple weeks that kind of stuff. You have teams missing three weeks in a row because of cancellations. So just so much, uh, you know, uniqueness from 2020 itself. You really have to dig into each program's context. But then moving forward to 2021, if that wasn't hard enough, yeah, you have the biggest transfer portal boom ever. You have this NCAA extra eligibility year. So really what it required was really digging in to each program deeper than ever. Um, you can't just look at the raw numbers. Um, like, for example, UNC, I think they have 20-something transfers out. And right away, that would be a red flag. Like, mm -hmm. wow, their roster's gone. But when you dig into it, specific to them, it's all these young guys moving up the roster, moving up the depth chart, taking over these super seniors and those super seniors leaving for one last year somewhere else. So every team, I do all 66 Power 5 teams, NBYU, and it's 66 different stories. So uh, it's been a beast, but I I'm, I'm proud of what I got out there and uh, excited for this ball to get kicked off finally. Before we get to Michigan in the Big Ten specifically, since we were one of the leagues that had a, a topsy-turvy season last year, Michigan ended up not playing the final two weeks of the regular season because of COVID. Uh, Wisconsin, which is, a, is locked down of a program culturally as we have in our league, it had a myriad of COVID issues last year. Illinois was playing third, fourth string quarterbacks because of COVID last year. Uh, I remember the game against Michigan State. Ohio State was without 25 guys or something in that game. So when you look at, at our league, and, and I I guess you throw the Pac-12 in there as well. How much does what happened last year translate into what you think this year? Because I, I've read a ton of stuff this offseason, listened to a ton of college podcasts. They're all over the map from just, you know what, I'm not even going to factor last year in, particularly where the Big Ten and Pac-12 are concerned, to somehow Penn State gets a benefit of the doubt, but Michigan gets penalized. I mean, how did, how did you factor that in? Because for my own yeah, predictions and analysis what to take away from last season was the hardest thing for me yeah absolutely and and again it's a non-exact answer I know that I'm really a numbers guy at heart but uh this thing you have to realize all this different context it's really non-numerical you got to look at each situation um with you know I rely a little bit more on their recent success as programs uh their player development their win conversion other metrics I run their coaches, I, I value, I think, coaches and coordinators a lot more than other preseason magazines. Mm. Uh, other other mags might just list that, hey, they have 10 starters back, put them first in the division. But, uh, you know, you got to dig a little deeper. So, yeah, I think every situation is unique. And uh, I know I keep saying that, but it's so true. And I try to dig into each one. Um, so, yeah, it's – and the other thing is I don't want to throw out 2020 altogether. I think that with those players – sacrificed all those coaches sacrificed for eight months of quarantining and uh and social distancing and, and testing and the whole bit uh for us to just put an asterisk on it is uh i think unjust but hmm. um not an asterisk but certainly context within each program uh, you bring up wisconsin's probably the best example where coming into 2020 they were thin at two spots it was their offensive line ironically was going through a transition and uh the receivers on the outside there was only really two threats and uh, unfortunately, the quarantines and injuries hit those two spots and, and crushed their offense. So uh, it sunk them for the year. So with that in mind, I think they're going to bounce back. It'll be a more normal season, a more normal offseason of development. And one last note, too, you had to factor in programs that went through coordinator changes or head coach changes 
they didn't have that normal install time, all right. that March and spring ball and summer camp, everything. So um, for them to be learning uh, on the fly or on the job, that's another thing you got to consider. All right, let's get to the Wolverines now, Brett. So we just went through what I anticipate will be the depth chart, the two deep for the opener against Western Michigan about 10 days from now. And even though this was a team that was two and four last year, going through that depth chart, there is a lot of talent there. I mean, there's a lot of highly recruited players, but I look at one of the most important spots in a college football program, the defensive front. And let's just say I'm glad they're going to a four, a three, four, because I don't know who the fourth defensive lineman you could count on is. So they're they're pretty anemic for a program that recruits at Michigan's level up there. You have some questions at quarterback, obviously. Um, there's a lot of talent elsewhere. Here's what spooks me. What what spooks me is last year we heard a lot about how Jim had fixed the culture, that he was more involved with his players, whether you agree or disagree. He was marching with them for BLM. Um, he was marching with them about uh, you know letting them play uh, over the Big Ten's original cancellation. Uh, if you looked at last year during all the COVID morass, Michigan never had to shut down the entire preseason. Almost everybody else in the Big Ten did. And if you know anything about Michigan and the way it, it kind of self-righteously prides itself, you know that they were they were taking the COVID protocols more seriously than they probably had to, just so they could then say, and we're still a better person than you. That's just how Michigan operates, right? And so everybody seemed on board. They they were in line. They get off to that great start against Minnesota, and then they get punched in the mouth against Michigan State and never got back up off the mat the rest of the season. That's what has me spooked more than anything else. Now, you've got Harbaugh trying to do what what Brian Kelly did in 2016, and 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 lots of coaches before they get fired try this. I just go back to Brian Kelly in 2016 because it's about the only time I can think of that this has worked, and that's just firing like everybody, almost everybody on your staff, even down to the recruiting staff, and and rebuilding it from scratch. It worked for Brian Kelly in 2016 after going four and eight. The next four years in a row, he's won double digit games four straight years. No other Notre Dame coach has ever done that so that's really the question here is can Harbaugh pull off the Brian Kelly or is he just the next coach whistling past the graveyard where after you replace your staff you're the guy out the door 12 months later so Brett break it down for us what say you yeah well I'm glad you brought up Brian Kelly's example I actually wrote that on the Michigan preview in my book and that was the good scenario the good side of it the bad scenario was when Mark D'Antonio tried to do this I wrote about that as well it's two sides of the same coin with Brian Kelly his transition he, he swaps both coordinators they turned a four and eight team into the playoff team that you see today with Mark D'Antonio it didn't go that well though he uh and his was a little bit different where it was kind of a, a carousel within the, mm-hmm. the staff it was guys moving to new positions that they haven't coached previously and uh, that backfired and, and essentially ended his tenure at Michigan State so when I look at those two examples Michigan's scenario this year looks more like the Michigan State one, where it's guys that are in new uh, position groups, new uh, coaching roles that they might not be as experienced with. Um, I know the QB's coach, he's had twice as many years on defense than he has on offense, uh, stuff like that. Sharon Moore was more of a tight ends coach. Now he's the offensive line guy. So it reminds me a little bit of the D'Antonio carousel. So we'll see how that shakes out. Um, It's going to either hit a home run or it's going to blow up. So Uh, One thing to note, too, is it seems that the the staff hires were mostly younger guys and big recruiters. So maybe a shift of, uh, you know, a shift of shift of strategy, trying to just ace the recruiting profile. Um, But with that said, Michigan's been a solid recruiter. And you you said at the top that they have a lot of blue chip guys waiting in the wings. That's really true. I mean, it's 
in the, in the five-year average, they're number 12 in my recruiting rankings. And um, when you go position group by position group, there's four-star guys at most of them, if not five stars. So it's a matter of who can step up. Uh, can they get these new schemes installed quickly, especially the new defense? And, um, and uh, I guess specifically to some players, too, you had guys that shined in 2019 and went through kind of a down year last year. So if you can get guys like Brad Hawkins and Daxon Hill back to that 19 level, that'd go a long way. Or, or Josh Ross back when he thrived in 2018, for example. Get him back to – if you get these players back to their peaks, uh, there's a lot of high potential here. I was watching the 2019 Notre Dame game uh, over the weekend, and that's uh, that's one of the biggest wins Harbaugh has. It, it, depending on what sports book you looked at at the time, it's the only game he has won as a Michigan coach as an underdog. In about half the books, he was a one-point underdog and a one-point favorite in the other ones. That's the only game he's won as an underdog at Michigan. Notre Dame was in the top 10. And of the 22 players that started in that game against Notre Dame in 2019, Brett, 14 of them are on an NFL roster right now in training camp. 14 of the 22. And some of the ones that aren't are guys like Aiden Hutchinson uh, that are Brad Hawkins that will be on NFL training camp rosters a year from now. That team lost four games. The closest loss they had that year was to Penn State by seven in a game they once trailed, I think, by 14 or 21. How the hell do you lose four games with – 14 of your 22 starters currently on NFL rosters. How does that happen, Brett? Do you know of another team, as you break down the Power Five on your for your publication, can you think of another team that has had that many pros? I mean, we had 10 guys drafted last year off a team that went 2-4. and four. Now, granted, two of them didn't play at all. They opted out, Nico Collins and Bree Thomas. Two others were hurt much of the year um, uh, in, 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 you know, in, in our tackle and then Quiddy Pay. That still leaves you with six pros off a team that went two and four. All right. Do you know of another team that puts this many guys in the NFL and loses four games in the entire country? Yeah, they're certainly in rare air there. Um, You know, when I'm looking at my book here, the two metrics I run are player development and win conversion. Player development looks at your recruiting rank versus your NFL draft output. So in that case, Michigan's top 10. Um, They they do really well taking their talent in and churning them to the NFL. But in that win conversion, which is recruiting rank versus wins on the field, uh, 38th out of the 66 Power 5 teams, so below average. So you can see that's a pretty big discrepancy. Usually they go in line, like Utah and Iowa, they're great developers and uh, converting to wins. But this is a rare example where they're really great at one side, the NFL output, poor in the win column. Um, A couple that come to mind, I think NC State is in a similar situation where if you remember some of those teams in 17 and 18, Dave Doran produced a ton of NFL draft picks. And you're thinking, okay, with that kind of NFL profile, this team should have ran through the ACC. And you look at their win-loss, I think they couldn't get over eight or nine wins. So um, similar example, but it's got to be frustrating because this is on a different level. This is You're talking about a top 15 recruiter, not someone outside the top 30 like NC State. Um, yeah, so that, that's that's got to be frustrating. And that, that's the one example I could think of. Um, you know, you think of somebody like Texas, who's the top recruiter in the Big 12 and hasn't converted that into wins, but they don't really convert to NFL picks either. That's just a whole different situation. That's poor in both categories. So, uh, so yeah, we're really talking about – what you're really talking about then is in-game utilization and, and game management on the sidelines. That's what you're – that's what your your data would seem to pinpoint the the two biggest issues Michigan has. That it's really not player development; it's in game utilization, and then it's 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 game management from the head coach. Yeah, game management, uh, scheme itself. 
And, uh, you know, we'll talk quickly on Don Brown. I mean, against inferior opponents, it was incredible. I mean, they really locked down the field. It mm-hmm. was statistically one of the best in the country. But when they got matched, at, 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 you know, in, in terms of talent or athleticism or exceeded like Ohio State, then, uh, you know, the whole dam fell. Um, so uh, in that sense, yes. And then offensively, they've been kind of stuck in the mud. This is something where when they hired Jim Harbaugh, I had thought that the one thing that he brought to the table was his quarterback development. And, um, you know, I understood there were some inherited roster guys and some guys that he he didn't necessarily recruit. But with 2020, I figured this is it. This has to be the year where he finds an all-conference caliber quarterback because it was two hand-picked guys, two four-stars, both 6'5", big frames uh, with Milton and McCaffrey, and neither one hit. So uh, that's just a bad flag. Both guys transferred out a few months later. And um, and here we are. So yeah. So to the win conversion note, yeah, it's it's scheme, it's in-game management. Um, because if everything else is good, if the recruiting's good and the NFL output's good, then what's happening on Saturdays, right? That, that's a red flag. Hmm. So break down how you forecast twenty twenty one to go for the Wolverines, Brett. Well, they are one of the more valuable teams out there. I'll say that there's a lot of potential outcomes. Um, just given that they that they recruit so highly and that they have potential stars everywhere, this could be as high as second in the division. Um, you know, I, I'm not sold on Indiana completely this year. I think Penn State will bounce back from their losing record last year. But um, do you give the same, uh, you know, the same credibility to Michigan? We'll see. Uh, now, Penn State has more staff continuity than Michigan does. But So I can see Michigan going all the way up to 9-3, and three, but I could also see this thing blowing up. I mean, you, you could see that this coaching carousel might not work, and in that case – there's a lot of tough games on the schedule. You, you draw Washington in the non-conference, who I have in the top 15. It's a solid defense. Uh, road trip to Camp Randall is going to be tough. Uh, at Penn State and obviously Ohio State to close it out. And that's overlooking some games like Nebraska and Michigan State, both on the road. They'll be uh, similarly talented teams. Maybe not Michigan State. They're going through a transition. But, uh, hey, you lo- I mean, Michigan lost to them last year. It's a rival. So when you go up and down the schedule, it looks pretty brutal. Um, I have them fourth in the Big Ten East. That's behind Penn State and Indiana. Again, I'm not so sold on Indiana, so maybe you can climb that high, but I do think that Ohio State and Penn State are still the class of the division. What do you think Michigan's final record is then? Around That would probably be, what, probably about a 7-5 and five kind of a team is what you're talking about? Yeah, I can see seven wins for sure. Um, you know, part of this prediction, too, is I, I'm not sold on Northwestern at all. In fact, I had them lower than every other preseason magazine out there. And that's no disrespect to Coach Fitzgerald. I think what he's built is incredible. But at the same time, they go through cycles. And last yep. year was a very veteran group, um, just as 2019 was super young. And I think they're back on the lower, ed- end, uh, you know, lower end of that cycle. So I think you beat Northwestern. Uh, I think you go 2-1 and one in the non-conference. I do really like Washington. I think they win that one, Washington. Um, beat Rutgers, uh, you know, lose to Wisconsin. And then I see a couple swing games like Nebraska, Michigan State, Indiana. I think you lose to Penn State on the road, and I think it's a whiteout too again. Uh, Ohio State probably a loss, and uh, we'll see about Maryland. So, yeah, I, I, can, I can see seven wins out of there. That's my prediction. Okay. I, I, that would lead to a coaching change at Michigan without a doubt. Let's look at the Big Ten. I, I don't know, Steve. Without, last year, I, without, I that that, without a uh, doubt. Without a doubt. Yeah. Promise you. I thought 49-11 would have been the, the, you know, the thing that broke the camel's back, but we'll, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, that was the COVID year, and they had budget issues. If they go 7-5, and five, there will be a coaching change in Michigan, without a doubt. Mm-hmm. What about um, the rest of the Big Ten? We've talked about the East. So what I, my numbers the last few years have been lower on Wisconsin than the market. 
This is the first time that my numbers are actually higher on Wisconsin than the market. In fact, my numbers say Wisconsin is almost as big of a favorite in the West as Ohio State is in the East. That doesn't mean I think they're as good as Ohio State. I just mean in comparison to the rest of the teams in that division. So we know what you think about the East. Give us a quick breakdown on what you think on the Big Ten West. Yeah, I, I agree with you about the division champion. I do have Wisconsin coming out of there, but I do disagree on the distance between the second-best team. I think Wisconsin and Iowa, they're very similar profiles this year, uh, very similar strengths. They both have that Big Ten West formula, big offensive lines, power run game, and a very experienced defense that, you know, both with proven coordinators, Brian Leonard there and uh, uh, Phil Parker at Iowa, they, you know what you're getting with both of them. And Iowa, when you look back at 2020, this is a team, I know we talked about comparing their seasons, but uh, they were relatively COVID-free, so their their sample size means more. And they were really close to going undefeated. I mean, they were two scores away. I mean, one was four points. I think one was one point. So five total points from being undefeated. I think they're legit, too. But I do have Wisconsin one, Iowa two. I have a tie there in third with Nebraska and Minnesota. These are teams, though, outside the top 25, and uh, both have their strengths, like Minnesota's offense and Nebraska's defense. Can their other sides of the ball develop? We'll see. And then I, I, I mentioned I was pretty low on Northwestern. I've got them fifth down there in the division, going through another transition cycle. No quarterback to speak of. Um, and I think they're going to really struggle scoring points this year. And they also lose Mike Hankowitz, a 50-year coordinator, one of the best ever. So uh, transition year there. And then to round it out, I've got Purdue and Illinois at the bottom. And uh, we'll see about it. I really like Jeff Brom as a head coach. It's just a tough division right now to move up the ladder. And uh, Brett Bielema taking over there in Illinois should be interesting. All right. Two big picture questions before we let you go. Number one, since 2002, every year but one, a preseason top 10 team in the AP poll finished the season unranked. And the one year it didn't happen, Texas finished 25th. Okay. So who is the top 10 team in the preseason AP poll that you think is most likely to finish the season unranked this year? Well, Steve, first off, this reminds me of your annual Twitter thread. I got to tell the listeners, go, <laughs> go check this thing out. It's my favorite thing every year. It's all these, uh, you know, these gems, these cool stats, and this fits right in. So go, go check that out on his feed. But, uh, yeah, as it relates to the AP Top 10, this year uh, my biggest discrepancy b- between the AP and my poll is Notre Dame. I'm mm-hmm. really selling Notre Dame this year. I think the AP has them in their Top 10 mm-hmm. for your category here. I've got them 24th. Uh, and really the big divide is, uh, you know, what, what made Notre Dame great last year was three things in my eyes. One was quarterback play, Ian Book. I know he wasn't the, the sexiest quarterback, but uh, he was very safe with the ball, very efficient. He tucked the ball down and, run, and ran when needed to and did just enough. So you lose him. Uh, their offensive line was incredible, too. Four starters gone, most drafted, a couple All-Americans drafted. So you got to reload on offensive line. And then lastly, their front seven and, and defense really stood out. And with their defensive coordinator gone and another All-American gone, I think it's a transition year all around for Notre Dame. Tougher schedule this year. I think they trip up a couple times and fall out of that top ten. I agree with you wholeheartedly. I, that would be the team that I would pick there as well. One last thing, Brett. Who are you higher on than the market? Meaning a, a team that could win their conference, um, uh, be a top ten, top 15 Team, I, you know, the last of the last nine times, for example, that Michigan has been unranked in the preseason AP poll, 
Uh, five of those times, they finished the season ranked 12th or higher. The other four times were three years under Rich Rod and the year they got Brady Hoke fired. So that certainly plays to your feast or famine call for Michigan, and I agree with that. I think all these things kind of gel, and that talent all kind of uh, matures at the same time, or this blows up in our face. I don't think this will be some kind of middling season. So what team are you, though, ahead of uh, the market on? For me, I'm, I like Utah a lot. In fact, I have them at I bought them at 15 to one to win the Pac-12 uh, a couple of months ago. I think the addition of Charlie Brewer is a perfect quarterback. This team reminds me a lot of the Baylor team two years ago, and I think he's perfect in that role. So for me, Utah is the team that on a national level I like much more than the than the market does as a whole. What about you? Yeah, they're certainly on my list for this category. Uh, I have them winning the Pac-12 South. I think the consensus among the magazines is USC out there. So I agree with you there. Two more I'll give is uh, TCU, a team that's unranked in the mm-hmm. AP poll. I've got them ninth nationally, all the way in the top ten. Mm-hmm. Their best team they've had since 2014 when they barely made, uh, barely missed the playoff. It's a huge stable at receiver, uh, deep defensive line, and secondary. And that when you know when when Patterson has that down there, it's great defense. So. And any other year, I'd say they can contend for the title, uh, the Big 12 title, but it's Oklahoma's best team in two decades and Iowa State's best team in a century. So uh, TCU, Washington I hit on earlier. I'm pretty high on them. I've got them 12th nationally. I think that's about 10 spots higher than the AP. Love their defense under Jimmy Lake. A lot of All-American candidates, but the offense kind of holds them back. And one last note here, I know it's only five spots higher than the AP poll, but uh, talking playoff prediction, this one really caught a lot of attention. It's my, my roulette chip of the year, if you will. It's UNC making the playoff, uh, overtaking Clemson in the ACC. Mm. Um, I know it sounds crazy, but when you look at their schedule, it's very winnable. If, you, if you're in the Vegas side of things, they're going to be favored in all 12 games, or at least 11 of them in the regular season. They avoid Clemson. They draw Notre Dame as their tough non-conference game, and I, I already said I'm pretty low on them this year. But with UNC, it's behind an incredible offense. I had the chance to interview their offensive coordinator, Phil Longo, now two seasons in a row. Just an offensive genius, the way he pairs his air raid pass concepts on the outsides with a downhill run game in the middle. It's Sam Howell. Everyone knows him now, the Heisman candidate. Uh, Five offensive linemen back. They're NFL-sized. And then a defense uh, that's really surging quickly. It's a lot of five-star guys. They're younger. Mac Brown doing a heck of a job recruiting. And uh, it'll be a younger team, but if they can surge toward December – uh, still with just one loss, it could be a win and in against Clemson. So that's the crazy pick of the year. I, you know, I'm excited to see them in action. Brett, great stuff. Great job on the preview again. Let our audience know how can they pick up a copy if they want to. Yeah, thanks. Uh, so it's pick6previews.com and at pick6previews on Twitter. And uh, on the website there, you'll see a couple sample teams, sample pages, so you can see the level of detail I go into. A couple testimonials there, like one from Chris Felica, the Bear, uh, nice. for College Game Day. Um, and, uh, yeah, so for the, the listeners out there, I know we're close to kickoff, so want to give a nice discount code. Uh, just type in Michigan at checkout. And uh, you get a nice discount code there for uh, checking it out. All right, so pick6previews.com. Use the promo code Michigan to get a nice discount. Again, promo code Michigan at pick6previews.com. It's the most accurate college football publication, preseason uh, publication, going back for the last decade. Brett Ciancia, great job as always, brother. Good to have you back again. Enjoy the season, all right? Yeah, thanks, and good luck, guys, this year. Thank you. 
want to say thank you to the hundreds of you that support us each month on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Michigan podcast. That's patreon.com slash Michigan podcast. If you are not currently supporting us now is the time with football season just around the corner. We put a lot of exclusive handicapping information up there. For example, my 2021 college football future bets, the bets I myself have made with my own money. You'll see those posted there for our subscribers. We post daily MLB handicapping picks as well. We're hitting about 60, 61% of those so far this season. We will have some NFL futures bets that I have also placed that I'll be recommending. Those will be placed pretty uh, pretty soon here as well on our Patreon page. So with the most wonderful time of the year just about here, Please support us at patreon.com slash Michigan podcast. It's the best five bucks you're ever going to spend a month. Patreon.com slash Michigan podcast. This week's Twitter poll results. We decided let's do a Kool-Aid check for the final time before the college football season begins. Michigan's current win total is seven and a half. Are you taking the over or under? There has been... As the season draws nigh, a slight uptick in Kool-Aid drinking. Uh, Blue Kool-Aid has been disseminated uh, and and distributed to some of you. uh, Because these numbers are like reversed from where they were about a month ago. Uh, Now 54% of you are taking the over and 46% of you are taking the under. And that leads us to our feedback of the week from Frankie Says Relax. Nice uh, 80s pop music reference there. He breaks down Michigan's schedule thusly. He says, sure wins. Western Michigan, Northern Illinois, Rutgers, and Northwestern. I don't know that Northwestern's a sure win, but okay, I'll go with it. Sure losses, Wisconsin, Penn State, and Ohio State. I don't think Penn State is a sure loss, but I agree with the other two. Lean wins, Nebraska and MSU. Okay. Lean L's, Washington and Indiana, coin flip Maryland. I'm actually fine with Maryland being a coin flip. If you look at where it's at on the schedule, that is the trap game of all trap games. I'd put Washington and Indiana, though, both in the coin flip category. But he says, hey, that that only gets us to six and five with Maryland. I don't see eight wins here. I think six and six is more likely than eight and four. I think six and six is more likely than nine and three. I don't know if it's more likely than eight and four. I would say those odds are about the same, which is why I split the baby in half and went with seven and five. But you know what? I want to be proven wrong. Maybe you missed this earlier. I said to Brett Siancia from Pick Six Previews, um, this is the tenth time in the last about fifty some odd years that Michigan has been unranked in the preseason AP poll. So out of curiosity, I just went back and looked at what happened the previous nine times. Five of those times, Michigan went from unranked to finishing 12th or higher in the AP poll, and one of them includes Harbaugh's first year in 2015. But the other four times were the three years under Rich Rod, and then he was fired, and then the final season of Brady Hoke in 2014. So that history would seem to indicate that this thing either um, is lightning in a bottle or is a faceplant kill shot, particularly with all the new coaches and everything else. There's so much new that you kind of feel like it either just gels and galvanizes or it it implodes and blows up. So either way, I'm excited for the season because we're going to get answers. Either we're going to find out that the issue is really Harbaugh 
or we're going to find out that he still might be the solution. I would prefer it's the latter, but I'm okay if it's the former because then at least we'll get a defined answer one way or another. I'm tired of the idle speculation. I'm tired of waiting. I'm tired of the pontificating and pondering. Let's play some games and let's settle some arguments that scoreboard either way always wins. That'll do it for this week's episode of Michigan Podcast. Next week, it is game week. The long national nightmare is almost over. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at Michigan Podcast. Keep up to date with us. You can also like, rate, subscribe, five-star review, share, follow, whichever the case may be. If you uh, access us through YouTube, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, please keep doing that so we can please keep reaching more and more Michigan fans just like you. Until next week, I'm Steve Dace, and go blue.